Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. Omari, I don't know about you, but this is kind of weird after last week. You know, we're we're doing the recording in person, live. We're sitting there right next to each other. And now we're back. I'm in Kansas. You're in Detroit. I, I don't know. Like, it's just a different vibe all of a sudden. I, I, I don't. I love doing the in-person thing. I, I, I miss it now. It makes me appreciate it more now that we're back having to do this through the computer screen. Yeah, I was telling you after our live show, I thought it was like way more fun than just sitting in front of, in front of the laptop. Uh, without the crowd interaction and being able to play off each other in person. So definitely hope we'll be able to do another one in the future at some point, hopefully before next season. I mean, again, it's just, I still can't believe how well that went. Uh, If you missed out, I understand, but you got to make it to the next one. You got to make it to the next one. It was a fantastic show. We had a great crowd. Uh, We had great friends, fans come out and just a lot of fun overall. I mean, I've never done anything like that. I'm assuming you had it and I think it went pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I think it was about the energy, right? Like, I get excited every time we do an episode, but there was just something, I'm, a, I'm not going to lie, man. Me and Wes were nervous after we saw the setup. We were hoping that that thing would pop off and and do well. And as you said, thank you to, again, one last time. I probably won't be the last time to everybody that came out and did that. We, we do have some new reviews, though, Amari. So this first one, it made me laugh. I'm interested to see if it made you laugh. So this is from St. Louis Andy, and he said, Bryce, this is for you. So I thought this was going to be like, Hey, Bryce, you know, like you carry the pod, blah, blah. No, I'm just kidding. But he said, I love this show. Most other Pistons pods skew way too negative, but this one takes a more rational view. Omari and Bryce have great chemistry. We hear this all the time, Omari. We talked about it. And the show is produced quite well by super stud Wes Davenport. One critique, Bryce, please, for the love of God, stop calling players, quote unquote, a bucket. It is brutal when young kids say it, much less a middle-aged man. Please, please, please stop. Thank you. So I gotta, I gotta defend you a little bit here, Bryce, because yes. you did, you know, as as you remind us in your opening, uh, you did play D one college basketball, and I've seen, I've seen the videos of you in the open gym. You know, it seems like you got a pretty good three ball, and you know, I'm not happy to say this, but it does look like you are a bucket, and I, you know, I have to give you those those uh, props. Uh, you know, I'm starting to pot off on a very nice note today, and. You know, you play basketball, so you could call somebody a bucket. I have to, I have to defend you there. Beyond that, uh, thank you so much for the comment. You know, I, I agree. You know, I, I, I agree. Me and Bryce do have a great chemistry. Uh, that's one thing people always bring up. And, you know, I swear we're just sitting here talking. Like, you know, it's not like we've done anything special to get it to that point. But I'm glad that that kind of comes through in the pod. And that's the only nice thing I'm going to say about Bryce. Like, I'm going to compliment your shooting, compliment and defend your ability to say a bucket. And buck stops there. That's it for this episode. I love it. And Andy, for real, thank you so much. Kind words. We appreciate it. Uh, We always love these reviews. And as much as I love and appreciate that, I will not stop calling people a bucket. (laughs) And I hope that doesn't mean you stop listening to the podcast. Also, we have to do, I'm sorry to start off the episode with two reviews, but Caleb Moffitt gave us a review as well. And I got to read this one. He said, great guys putting on a great show. I listened on Spotify, but felt like I needed to come to Apple to give a full review since these guys deserve some credit. The dynamic and chemistry, again, between Amari and Bryce produces a great listen. You get a mix of in-depth basketball analysis, team insight, and some lighthearted razzing that makes it fun. I attended the live recording and after the show, both Bryce and Amari, under no obligation, took the time to walk around to each table and have a conversation. 
really genuine dudes. So props to Bryce, props to Omari, shout out Wes and kudos to the free for putting on the show. Appreciate the hard work, fellas. Caleb, thank you so much. You know, I, again, I know he's a Spotify listener. He came over to Apple just so he could leave the review. I remember Caleb, he came in, he ate uh, Hobcat before he was sitting right next to us. Um, I don't know if it was his girlfriend or his wife, whoever it was. And then they came up and listened to the episode. It was great to meet you in person, obviously everybody else as well. And so I definitely wanted to share that review also. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just meant a lot to see you know, people listen to the pod every week, come out and show that support. You know, Caleb being one of them. Uh, I mean, I was... I think we went upstairs and saw that stage and the seats we had to fill. And we were all like, ooh, this could this could be an interesting night. You know, many, many people show up and, you know, it's like raining and storming outside. And it's a Monday, you got the national game on. And it was just a lot of factors against having a pretty full crowd. And yet, you know, there was this person at every single table. There's multiple people at every single table, which, I mean, just blew us away. So, Caleb, we thank you for coming out. We appreciate you for migrating from Spotify to Apple uh, simply to uh, give us a review for the show. And we hope to see you at the next live episode as well. All right, let's get into it. Today, we're recording this Monday afternoon, evening, and you had the exit interviews, Amari. Uh, okay, let me back up, guys. We are going to talk about Dwayne Casey. I promise you to all the listeners, we will talk about Dwayne Casey. That's coming up just a little bit later. We'll get there. We'll probably end up doing two segments on that and all the candidates and all that. I promise. But because the exit interviews were on Monday, we wanted to start the episode with that. So Amari, you were there, you were, you know, in person. What was the vibe? What was there a specific quote, a specific player, anything that you're like, man, really stood out here to start us off? Because I have a whole bunch that I copy and pasted from your Twitter account. So yeah, I would say just the overall vibe was just we have to get past the season. Like we want to come back stronger next year. I actually just found a story literally like 10 minutes ago before I Hopped on to report the pod, so you guys can read that on freep.com. We also have um, something from Sean Windsor on Kate Cunningham. But just just sense of we have to get past this, right? We won 17 games, and it seems like all the players collectively just had the same mindset of we have to get past this. We have to be better next season. We have to put in some work this summer uh, to get this rebuild or restoring, as Trevor Weaver likes to say, back where it needs to go. Uh, you know, some of the quotes were, were, were prompted, like where's optimism at? Some of them were unprompted, but I would say that that was the main takeaway. And then also, you know, we talked about Dwayne Casey too, uh, who of course had the surprise announcement uh, Sunday night in Chicago that he's stepping into a front office role. And I mean, we've talked about this, written about it, you know, this and that, but uh, these guys really do like and respect Dwayne Casey. Um, you know, he's a person who's been in the, the coach's chair, whether as a, uh, head coach for assistant for 44 years like he knows the game uh, he's a people person he knows how to connect with people and it really was a great gesture uh, by you know just the Pistons front office and ownership to give him the chance to uh, kind of go out on his own terms pick his own path and then also break his own news uh, you know which just speaks to the relationship there and you know players too uh, just also just praised Dwayne just that they were sad to see him go um, you know, I think it was Kay just kind of talked about, you know, the next coach just want you know, to come in with passion and, uh, you know, just being on their A game, right? So uh, Dwayne Casey kind of set the tone as far as that. Uh, he's the only coach a lot of these guys have ever known in the NBA. Honestly, we look at the, and Donnie's this roster, a lot of those guys have only ever had Dwayne as their head coach. So a big moment for change for the organization in a lot of ways. And if I'm just to summarize the exit interviews in one word, I guess change, right? Like we need to change this. Whatever path we're on now, like we got to turn things around next season to get this on the right path and get to the playoffs. So one guy who has had a bunch of different coaches 
And I want to start this off with is Marvin Bagley the third, mm-hmm. because I thought he had a quote on Coach Casey and then his own career that was really interesting. So his quote on Coach Casey stepping down, I enjoyed my time that I had here under Coach Casey, which speaks to what you're talking about. Whoever comes in, it'll be new again, change. But I've been through it. I've had a new coach four of my five years. So I know how it feels and how and have been through it for a lot of guys. It'll be new. So that speaks to what you were talking about. A lot of guys on this roster have only known Coach Casey. But Marvin Bagley III now continues kind of what a lot of people were giving him a pass for in Sacramento, which was he was there, had a new coach every year. He comes to Detroit, has Coach Casey for a year and a half, and now he's getting a new coach. I just... I thought that was interesting in a different perspective for at least one guy on the roster and Marvin Bagley the third, where, man, he's going to have to now go into a new coach, a new system, and the change that you're talking about. I think it speaks to the stability the Pistons had with Dwayne for five years, where, you know, Trey comes in three years ago and he basically says, I like Dwayne, I respect Dwayne, he's a good leader for these guys. And why go into a coaching search when just from a rebuilding standpoint, you're never going to lose a lot of games. Like they are rebuilding through the draft, right? Like whatever coach you're going to bring in and that span is going to lose a lot of games. That's not a reflection on the coach, but just the organizational uh, plan and priorities. You know, they're, they're not LA, they're not Miami. You got to build through the draft. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just rare. Like a lot of players, when you're on a rebuilding team, the coach is the first one to go. Uh, the Sacramento Kings have cycled through coaches and uh, they finally landed on Mike Brown who came in with a great reputation uh, you know, this is after Marvin Bagley, obviously, who arrived in Detroit last season. But just that stability is something that, you know, maybe players on this team kind of took for granted, just given that typically when you're winning, you know, run 20 games a year, you don't have that when it comes to the coaching staff. So Marvin's been through it. They got some veterans, Alec Burks, William Bogdanovic, who knows how many coaches they played for, right? You know, they've they've both kind of bounced around. It could be five, six, seven guys for them. Uh, that's the norm for the NBA. Like, that's just how it goes. It's not, you know, it's not college where you typically have one, you know, person in for four or five years and uh, you have the expectation of that sort of commitment to turn the program around. Uh, NBA coaches typically are pretty disposable. Uh, that hasn't been the case here in Detroit. And that coaching search, obviously, will lead off a pretty big offseason uh, for this team. So, I thought that was a good point by Marvin, right? Like, you know, a lot of these guys only known Dwayne and, you know, it's going to bring some, you know, change, but that's how the NBA goes sometime. And, and Bagley also had good things to say about Dwayne as well, uh, which, you know, first he's had four head coaches, so he would know what makes a difference between the coach he's about it. And he's a good coach. He probably isn't a good coach. You can look at the Kings records and see that they've had some coaches who didn't get the job done, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons. So that's just how it is in the NBA. Uh, you know, it's not college where you have coaches there for four or five years. Uh, you know, coaches are cycled in and out. Bagley had great things to say about Dwayne, and that coaching search is really going to set the tone in a lot of ways for how this team comes back next season. I want to stay on Bagley for a second because another thing he said that was really interesting to me, Amari, I don't know who asked him, but you guys asked him his favorite moment of the season, and his response was yesterday when he left the floor healthy. And he said, it's not like I wake up and say, I'm going to go get hurt. I'm going to go hurt myself today to be able to fight through those things and suit up when I play. Those are the things you can't take for granted. So I I just thought that perspective from Marvin Bagley III was really interesting that like his favorite moment of the season, he played really well at times, Amari. He truly did. And his favorite moment of the season was actually hey, I'm ending the season healthy, going into the offseason healthy. I just, I think it was a little insight into kind of how these players think and how seasons can be completely different for individual players. And Bagley, I think, would be interesting coming into the offseason as well. You know, just from, you know, like we talked about his, his game too and 
uh, just the consistency he kind of found through all of those injuries. I think he only played around 42 games. Just fluke injuries. I mean, he lands on a guy's foot in preseason. Uh, he gets caught on the screen or something, and his fingers bend backwards, and then he has to have, It's just, just really fluke, unfortunate stuff. Nothing that really to me implies that his body is breaking down, just wrong place at the wrong time type of stuff. But, you know, I thought through all that, he persisted. He put together a good year. And, you know, I think that kind of gives him a, a clear direction going into the, the offseason where we saw him taking – and make more threes, you know, as the year progressed. They all know that they got to make this two big things work. So, yeah, like I always like talking to Marvin. Uh, like, he's always a good quote, always has a good perspective. And, uh, you know, and I think he's brought, even throughout the injuries and everything else, I thought he really didn't make an impact this season. Speaking of the two bigs, and one that's a little bit forgotten because he missed so much of the season was Isaiah Stewart. So a couple mm-hmm. quotes from Stu. First on what the final version of his game looks like. And he said, I'm not sure. I feel like I don't have a ceiling. It's a lot of room for growth. When I got drafted, this is what the interesting part to me, Amari. When I got drafted, people viewed me as a different player. I put the work in to work on my skills to continue to develop my game. This is something we've talked about. And I feel like he's a little bit forgotten here. You know, people always talk about who's going to start at the four. Whether he starts at the four or not, I almost feel like people don't even include him in rotation conversations anymore. And I'm like, this whole two big lineup, I feel like is built around Isaiah Stewart as you know, a small ball five whenever he came in, but now he can play as the four because he can shoot it a little bit. And we'll talk about that in just a second. I want to get to the other quote on his injury. But what kind of did you take away from that with Stu? We, I assume we haven't heard from him or you guys haven't heard from Beef Stu in a while. No, we hadn't. That was the first time we talked to him since the team shut him down in uh, early March with the, I think they call it a shoulder impingement, but his left shoulder was bothering him. We'll get to the injury. I agree. I think of all the bigs in this roster, he's the most natural for, uh, which is funny because as he alluded to, uh, coming out of Washington, he was not really seen as a four. He was seen as a sort of a throwback five, back to the basket, rebounds, set screens, all that. And he gets to the NBA and really after the draft, I think this front office and coaching staff had maybe a different plan for him that what a lot of people expect it when he comes in where it's okay. Like he's six, eight, he's not the greatest leaper. Uh, he has good shooting touch. Uh, like I remember, uh, you know, I did a story on him after he was drafted about some of the stuff that he didn't get to show on the court when he was at Washington and behind the scenes, he was a really, really good mid range shooter and he could hit some threes in practice and the Pistons saw that. And I think understood that he could have a future as a floor spacing big man. And that's been a part of his regime since he came in and I think him saying that I don't have a ceiling just is a reflection of the fact that he's in uncharted waters developmentally, right? You know, he probably didn't expect three years ago that he would take as many threes as he did this season. I think he hit him at like a 32 or 33% clip, uh, which I showed his injury. He did mention that it had been bothering him even as early as January, uh, that January 4th game when they played Golden State. Uh, it showed it was affecting him then. And he didn't want to make excuses, but he did allude to the fact that that might have affected the shooting a bit. Even with that, I thought he had an encouraging season as a shooter. And of Detroit's four big men, he is probably the best shooter right now. And he's the one I feel most confident in being able to shoot at least 36% next season. I already do think he's going to be a good shooter. Uh, he's been a little bit forgotten, but people aren't going to forget him next season, right? Like, it's just a weird year where he's hurt. And you have Wiseman come in, you have Duran come in, who kind of come in with this excitement. Uh, you know, Isaiah Stewart sounds like an old man at this point because he's one of the original <laughs> players that Trey Weaver drafted. You know, he's very old in his third season. So, uh, like, I think it'd be a big summer for him. Like, we saw flashes of even beyond the shooting, just like that off the dribble playmaking, whether it's, you know, using his feet to get past defenders in the paint. We saw some flashes of passing upside. Uh, he's got a lot to his game that he's tried to flesh out. And he said going into the summer, he can dial in even more on rounding out those power forward skills that he didn't necessarily come into his NBA career with. 
Well, not only is he the best shooter of that bunch or the the most natural format, he's also the most versatile defender, in my yeah. opinion. Like, that's one right. thing that I feel like has been forgotten as well. Yeah, he can play and drop. He can do some other things, but he's also very switchable, which makes him very, very valuable. And I think some people say, well, that's a little less valuable at the four. I get it. You know, when he's the five man, that's maybe a little more valuable. But the fact he can move like that and guard smaller guys on the perimeter allows him to be a four man. So I think you can do a lot of interesting things with him. And I, I just like always to bring this up Omari he was a top three recruit in his class so you know guys that are just hard workers don't usually get that kind of publicity coming out of high school it doesn't mean it's going to pan out we've seen plenty of guys who didn't pan out and our own you know Matt Babcock who's come on all the time and friend of the program he's talked about how skilled and talented Isaiah Stewart was and even back then you could see the shooting potential I want to get to the injury though because this was an interesting quote and I did the the stats behind it so his left shoulder was bothering him as early as January before the medical staff shut him down for the year in March. Said it bothered him as early as their road win against the Warriors on January 4th. So here are the stats, Amari. Pre-January 4th game versus the Warriors, Isaiah Stewart was 36% from three on 4.1 attempts and 75% from the free throw. I don't care if it's his left or right shoulder. I understand it's the left shoulder. He shoots with his right. It still affects you. 26% from three on 4.1 attempts and 72% from the free throw line from January 4th on. Now, I had somebody tweet at me like, well, maybe that's just regression to the mean. Maybe it is. Maybe you're right. Maybe it, maybe it was going to happen anyway. That's fair. But there also seems to be a little bit of correlation between his three-point efficiency and that injury. So I think that that gives some promise as well. Like At least at one point, he was shooting at above 35% on four attempts. And that's the thing, right, is that he did eventually kind of fall off after that hot start. And if Isaiah Stewart is a 36% three-point shooter in his first real season taking three-pointers out volume from start to finish, then I think that bodes extremely well. Now, it could have just been a hot start. You know, I think the shoulder, it's impossible to say for sure the extent that the shoulder injury led to that decline in his shooting percentage. But it definitely had some sort of impact. And he also noted that you just go through hot and cold shoots over the course of the year, and this is his first time really experiencing the ebbs and flows of being a shooter. Like, even Steph Curry has gone cold, man. Like, it's going to happen to everybody. But a lot of encouragement, I think, from this season. I, you know, if there's any doubt about him being a four coming into this year, I really do think he's silenced a lot of those doubts. He's not going to be a perfect four, but how many perfect fours are there, right? Like, even Draymond struggles to shoot, even though he gives you everything you can want as a defender and passer. If, if Isaiah Stewart could come in next season, reliably shoot threes, still give you what he's given you as a rebounder and a defender, and just even – he doesn't have to be the best passer in the road. He doesn't have to be – uh, he doesn't have to have Kevin Durant footwork getting into the lane, but just even just improving those skills 10%, I think, would go a lot way to him being the starting four for his team next year. Well, and what I like, Omari, is he can play the four, but he can also play the five. Like, there's some yeah. really good fours, quote-unquote, but then you're like, can they also play the five? Well, probably not. Isaiah Stewart, against certain lineups, again, you're not going to, like, want to play him at the five against the Sixers and Joel Embiid necessarily, but he's a four that can also legitimately play five minutes. So there's just a level of versatility there with Isaiah Stewart that I really like. You know, everybody wants to talk about this team winning in the playoffs and those type of things. I think he's a playoff player. I think he's actually better in the playoffs, especially especially if this shooting continues to grow. And so here's my, I want to ask you this and, and we'll review our preseason predictions. And I think this was under for both or over for both of us, but I wasn't going to guess he was going to shoot over four attempts a game on the season. And you know, if you did at 30, whatever percent, like I'm very pleased with the overall numbers considering the volume he ended up taking. I would agree. Uh, we knew the volume would go up, but the extent 
that yeah. it goes up, it's really hard to predict. I honestly don't remember what I set my over under uh, for three pointers was. I can't remember if it was 100 or 150 or whatever it was. He, he probably exceeded it, even though he didn't play the entire season. And I think that speaks to just the work he's put in and the confidence that the coaching staff had in. So I would say just from that standpoint, I think the season really was a success for Isaiah Stewart. Uh, just looking at the overall package, right? 32.7%. All right, like not the greatest percentage from three. Uh, just from a process standpoint, it uh, really sets them up well going into the offseason to where now it's like, okay, I'm going to play a lot of four. We have James Wiseman, we have uh, Jalen Duran, we have Marvin Bagley. Uh, at least two of those guys are probably more naturally suited to play the five long term than the four. So he knows what his charge is. He knows what he has to do. Uh, we've already seen flashes of everything we need him to do. He even he was trying to even make some high low passes to Jalen Duran uh, toward the end there before he went out. So a lot of good stuff to build on, and this really is a pivotal offseason for him, especially considering he'll be extension eligible. All right, so you bring up the bigs. Let's stay there for one more. We'll go to a break after that, and then we'll talk some Cade, and then we'll get into Dwayne Casey. But Jalen Duran said he only had a couple people in his circle knew he wouldn't play in the G League this season. And he said, I use it as a chip on my shoulder. I understand who I was and what I could bring to the game of basketball. And I knew I could do it at a high level. This may be my biggest L of the season, Omari. I feel like I predicted or, you know, had some pretty decent predictions coming into the year. I said I thought Jalen Duran would spend some time in the G League. You told me no. You were right. I had all sorts of other people tell me that I was crazy. And, you know, it sounded like Jalen Duran, at least it sounded like other people around him were saying those same things. But he knew all along he wasn't going to spend time in the G League. He had a great season. And, um, you know, it was just kind of interesting to hear that, that, you know, only a couple people in the circle knew that he wouldn't be doing it. You know, did I know 100% that he would not play in the G League? I don't think I'm 100% on it, anything that I'm projecting toward the future, right? Like, at the end of the day, I'm not the coaching staff. But just based on the conversations I had had and what I had heard, it seemed like there was reasonable confidence that, you know, Durham would be able to c- contribute in some way. Uh, you know, I know just going into the season, they kind of saw there is no more as an emergency option, uh, which, you know, strongly implied that Durham would be in the mix on some level. And then some things just kind of broke right for him, too. You can't predict Marvin Bagley the third landing on somebody's foot and, like, you know, missing the first 20 games of the season, right? You know, you, it's just certain things you can't predict. Isaiah Stewart missed some time. Just that uh, too big lineup that went into the play throughout the year. Uh, we really only saw it for, like, it seemed like we would see it for maybe 10 games or, you know, eight games for somebody would get hurt and then they have to go back to playing one big at a time. But that did help Duran just from a getting him on the court standpoint. And honestly, he was like so effective in the minutes he did play that it probably would not have happened anyway. Uh, and it's just funny, like just talking to Duran over the course of the year, you've really gotten the sense for just how confident he is and uh, how proud he is. Uh, I remember he was asked about playing in the G League at Media Day and he was respectful, but you could kind of see in his face like I'm not like I'm not playing in the G League, right? And I talked to him in December for a story about it being ahead of schedule and he acknowledged that uh, he kind of just took that as like a chip on his shoulder. Like they're asking me if I'm going to play in the G League and he was, you know, he was basically just like I wasn't going to play in the G League. Like I came to the season with you know expectations for myself and if that's what the coaching staff wanted, he would have went along with it. But uh, he kind of saw that as a slight to his ability. He had a lot of good quotes today. He had a quote about, it's funny, like, two or three, he kind of jokingly asked, are you tired of being asked? Are you tired of being the youngest guy in the NBA? Are you looking forward to stopping the best player in the NBA? He was just like, yeah. Uh, he really doesn't like anything that leads people to believe that he is lesser, right? Whether it's about his A's or G League and all that, he takes those things personally. And that probably speaks to why he was so good, you know, as the youngest player in the NBA. Sorry, JD, if you're, you know, if you listen to this, whatever. But I have to acknowledge you were the youngest player in the NBA. Uh, you won't be in a few months. And he started 31 games and 
did just about everything you would want to see, I think, for a player coming into that situation. What were you going to hear and what he's going to get tired of is all these rookies that are older than him when they come into the league. He's going to hear yes. that. Brandon Miller's already older than Jalen Duran. The Thompson twins are already older than Jalen Duran. But no, I, I love that. You have to have the confidence. We talk about this with some other players who maybe we question their confidence a little bit and kind of how that's affected their career. So I love that, that he takes things personal. I think that's a real part of sports at every level, even if people don't want to believe. Like, We've heard stories of Michael Jordan, you know, to go to a different sport, I'm a chief, you know, Patrick Mahomes uses these things. They, even if they have to manifest them, they use things to put chips on their shoulder and help motivate them. I'm not saying Jalen Duran's at that level, obviously, but I, I love hearing about that about the young fella. We do need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some quotes from Cade Cunningham and Jay Nivey, and then we'll fully dive in to Dwayne Casey moving to the front office in some possible replacements. All right, we're back with segment two. And let's lead off here with Kay Cunningham. Uh, this was actually, I believe, the first time that we had talked to him since, you know, before he had his surgery, honestly. And I know he talked to the media in Paris. Uh, you know, most of us didn't make the uh, trip. So this was my first time talking to him uh, in several months. And he kind of a dog's head on just to lead off. Like, we have a big summer ahead of us because next year is the year that we want to take the next step. And a lot of the reasons why they didn't take the step this year is because he got hurt. So it just seemed like he understood what was at stake. And he's also just such a good quote. Like, I want to shout him out for that because it just seems like he always, he just is good at putting words together and it's always nice to just be able to transcribe and be like, oh, this is a banger. That's a banger. All right, cool. He's making the story. Like, he's jazzing the story up, you know? So it was good to be able to talk to him again. I didn't even think about that. You guys hadn't had a chance to talk to Cade, you know, for so long since the injury. I had that quote in my notes as well, Amari. It's the first one that stood out to me. I know it's something that's been talked about. I know it's something the fan base wants to hear and wants to happen. But to hear Cade Cunningham say, you know, it's a big summer ahead of us. Next year is the year we need to take the step. Like, I think that's where everybody's at, right? And I think not to transition this to Troy Weaver, we don't need to go there right now, but I think this is the summer where some of Troy Weaver's decisions really become huge. You know, it looks like he got it right with Cade. It looks like he got it right with Jay Nivey, even Jalen Duran. I don't think even some of the ones he's quote-unquote missed has necessarily put the organization at a disadvantage or any sort of major disadvantage. Again, we'll talk about the coach stuff. This is a huge decision coming up, but I, I feel like from that quote, and maybe you could tell me, it sounds like Cade knows this is a summer for everybody. And next year, they're kind of starting to feel like, hey, we need to show something. We can't go into next year and then have it another year where it's 20 wins and it's a tank to the bottom and all of those type of things. Just the win-loss record for the past three years is just, a lot of that's just a byproduct of doing a full rebuild and building through the draft. But nobody wants to lose, you know, four years in a row. Uh, for the 2020 players, you know, Killian and Isaiah, it'll be year four. For Cade, it'll be year three. Uh, so there's just a real sense that like we have to turn the page on this. And the front office really has kind of pinpointed this offseason as the ideal offseason to turn the page anyway. Just because, again, it's year three. Uh, they've already done a lot of the work needed to kind of get this thing on the right track. And they just need to see some wins to validate all the stuff that's happened behind the scenes. Uh, back to Cunningham, I think one thing that really stuck out, and I asked him about this just because I had some conversations with folks, uh, you know, just in the week, last weeks of the season, is his... Uh, three-point shooting. It's just his overall jumper in general. He talked about getting a little bit more lift and more power on it. He's working with John Beeline on that. Yeah, the shot was flat when he was a, a rookie. He didn't shoot the three-ball extremely well. I mean, he was still dangerous from it. He could still heat up, but he didn't shoot at a very high percentage. 
uh, even though he's not really a fully 100% yet, like we've even seen him in practice, like just going through the motions with Beeline, uh, you know, and the rest of their uh, player development staff. Uh, this is something he's really been in a lab on uh, just to uh, really just kind of perfect the mechanics. It wasn't necessarily, you know, reshaping his entire form because it wasn't broken to begin with, but he's really put a lot of effort into getting it to where it needed to go. And um, like I was just talking to one person, they were just saying like, they think K could be a monster next year, you know, just because of how much work he's put into that shot. And I think me and you both agree, if he could come back next season and hit that even at like a 35, 36% clip, that's going to make his life a lot easier. He did all the other stuff better than what we thought, you know? And so the mid-range was really on point. So it was weird. I, I just have all these plays running in my head where I'm like, Cade gets an open one more pass and it's a big three-pointer and he misses short. Like, I feel like he was one of those every miss was short, which is better than missing left or right. Like, at least it's on target and it's online. But he just didn't seem to be able to get the legs in to it so hopefully you know it sounds really bad hopefully some of that was the injury like that's what was messing with him and now that he's going to feel better coming back from the injury it won't be an issue it sounds like he's already kind of addressing that and so I want to take the next quote I had from Cade Cunningham and it'll help us transition into Jay Nivey and he said he really grew to respect Jay Nivey as a person more and it makes him more excited to play with him over the course of the season I like the way he's grown throughout the season him having the ball more having more attention on him is really going to pay off I just thought it was an interesting quote from Cade Cunningham about his future you know next year backcourt mate they didn't get a whole lot of time this year and Cade Cunningham talking about the growth he's all out of Jade Nivey this year. And I, I thought it was interesting because I feel like Kate is, like, as you said earlier, he's very smart with his words. And so I felt like the fact he said it, it, I grew to respect him even more, I feel like that's a pretty substantial statement from Kate. You know, it's not that there wasn't like a lack of respect sure. like coming yeah. in, but, it, you know, I think it speaks to just the work that Ivy put in over the course of the year. I mean, there's been so many stories about, you know, just somebody the first one in the gym, last to leave. Like, I remember we were in, I think it was Orlando. And uh, it's, it's like after shoot around and uh, a new team was going to come in. I think like, I, like, I don't know if it was a magic or a different team or what, but they had to leave the court uh, like right at 11 a.m. on the dot. And Jaden Ivey was like getting frustrated because he was like so in the middle of his workout. And then it's like, well, we have to leave. And he's like, I'm not I'm not done. And then we were in you know Chicago on Sunday. And, you know, we asked this was actually after the Pacers game, I believe, in Indiana. And we asked Wayne about it. He's like, yeah, we had to take his shoes out of the gym because he wasn't going to leave on his own. And you just hear those stories over the course of the season. And everybody can respect a worker, right? You know, I think if you're um, you know, putting your money where your mouth is, you're setting the tone by example. Everybody can follow that. So, Kate, I mean, there's been so much talk about just those two guys as fit for obvious reasons. That was a lot of focus coming into the season. And then they barely got to play with each other. You know, so, Kate is watching from the sideline. He's seeing this girl from the sideline and. Uh, he's seen what Jen and Ivy is about, and Jen improved a lot. I mean, we talked about it. he improved as a playmaker, he improved as a passer, just decision-making in general. And that could be a pretty deadly duo next year. So, you know, Kate has a lot, a lot of reasons to be excited for what they could become uh, on the floor together. Watching his pregame routine whenever I was out there for those two games last week, it was by far the most in-depth, the longest, the hardest working of any player that came out. And I think it was more so than whenever I saw him, I would have saw him twice earlier in the season in November, and it was more than that. So if you've never got there in time to watch warm-ups for the Pistons, they essentially come out two at a time, or like they'll come out one and then the next guy, but usually there's two guys on the court. They go through, what, probably 10, 12 minutes, and then the next group comes out. 
Well, Jay Nivey does his 10, 12 minutes, and then he stays on the court doing other stuff while other groups of players are coming through. Like, I just, I, I, it seemed like he was, he did three times as much as what anybody else. And that's not a knock on anybody else. It's a compliment to the work that Ivy's putting in. And it seemed like every player has like their coach. I assume you've seen this as well, Amari. Like, Jay Nivey had three coaches. I think he's doing his ball screen work and he had three different coaches working with him. So he's doing ball handling, he's working on ball screens, he's doing his shooting, his mid-range, like all of that stuff. And so it just, again, it's just a testament and another story to how hard this kid works. And eventually that's going to pay off, especially when you combine it with a lot of natural athletic gifts as well. So I'm excited, man. I thought he had, we'll talk more about Jaden, but I thought he had an incredible rookie season and I think he's just going to get better. And I also add, and I thought this was a nice sort of bow uh, when he said this to like an under running story throughout the season. He talked about just learning his work acting from his mom, right? Yeah. He was a player at Notre Dame, had success at Notre Dame as a player, and he came back as a coach and, you know, coached five or fours, championships, whatnot. Now she's a head coach. And he said just growing up and seeing the way his mom worked kind of set the tone for him, right? Because to have success, you have to work. Even while you have success, you still have to work. Like he said, his mom's work at the BL never changed. No matter what was happening, you know, final four, like win, loss, whatever, like always work the same way. And hey, you know, your mom is a former player, you know, former pro and, uh, you know, a, a current coach. I think that goes a long way in just setting the example for him. And, you know, I just thought it was funny. Uh, he had the window f- uh, fast break duck against the Pacers last Friday. And he's amped up. His mom is sitting there and he's like looking at her like, and, like she has a camera and all that. Like it's just like a really sweet moment. And you see this mom in a lot of games this year. So uh, that's definitely a big motivator for him. And it's just kind of cool to see her follow him on this journey throughout the year. Know what I love about that? His mom allows herself to be a fan, right? Mm-hmm. Like it'd be really easy for her to sit there in the stands and like be in coach mode and stuff like that. And it, it's it's actually hit with me because I'm always in coach mode, scout mode, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, man, I need to go be a a dad whenever I watch my kids play. They're obviously not even close to that age yet, but it's a good reminder that it's okay to be a fan of your kids, to enjoy it as a parent, that just because you're a coach, you don't always have to be a coach. And before we go on to Dwayne Case, I did want to, Ivy did talk about defense and and going to coach Beeline at some point in the year saying, hey, work on my defense, my closeouts, being the low man, all of those things. And so I do think we saw him get a little bit better throughout the season. Obviously, that's something we'll talk about this offseason, something we'll have to get a lot better going into next year. But Omari, we do have to talk to Wayne Casey. And I do want to just give my like experience with this because I was there on Wednesday night and we're sitting in the media room. RJ Hampton comes in. Shout out RJ Hampton. Had an incredible game. And then we sat for what? 45 minutes waiting for Coach Casey. We knew the ownership was there. I don't know that we got a whole lot out of you know Coach Casey from that press conference but it did seem like there was a vibe of there were conversations happening and, you know, something was going on. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, people knew a little bit more behind the scenes. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But it was like, OK, there, there's something going on here. And, you know, obviously, then it all came out on Sunday after that game. So I will say, uh, you know, of course, he announced that he's going to join the front office after five years as head coach. Uh, yeah, like that press conference uh, after that game last Wednesday. Uh, you know, to meet with ownership right after the game, and he's got one year left of his contract. And then he comes in and he plays things really close to the best, right? Like, he doesn't really tip his head, but he says, uh, you know, like, I want what's best for the organization. You know, we'll see this and that. You know, I kind of asked him directly toward the end what it would be to come back and coach these guys. And, you know, he says, you know, like, it would, it would, it would, it would mean something, but, you know, at the same time, like, 
you know, like I'm a big boy, like I could, you know, this and that. And it's like, okay, well, you know, like what's going on here, right? And I think we always do that him joining the front office could be a possibility. Uh, and, you know, I knew that it would probably be up to Dwayne just because of how close he's been with Tom and with Troy throughout the whole process. They were going to do him dirty, right? Like I knew that that was going to be the case. But, you know, for him to announce that Sunday evening after the game, really Sunday afternoon, it was a, a new game. You know, I don't think a lot of people in the organization uh, expected that to happen. Like, just from talking to people, uh, it seemed like there's maybe some sense that it could be his last season as head coach, but I don't know if people already knew that he had made his mind up. And they kept it, you know, they were in a tight ship. They kept it leak-free. Uh, they allowed Dwayne to go out there and, uh, you know, basically select his own destiny and live with the news himself, which I just thought was a really, really great gesture. And, you know, now he'll be able to do it soon. Like, he's still saying personal decisions, you know, even as a head coach and this and that. Uh, you know, but not just listening to a front office row, be able to spend more time with family, uh, and still being able to shape, you know, this 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 rebuild the Pistons are in. It's just a really, I think, cool, uh, not an ending for his journey in Detroit, but a good conclusion to his coaching career because he really did have a thankless job over the last, really over the last three years to be the head coach of a rebuild. I think that's one of the most thankless jobs you can have in sports, right? Because uh, what, what happens for a lot of coaches when it's time to, to turn the, the, the page, right? You know, they, they fire the coach and they say, all right, we need to, thank you for your services, but it's time to get somebody else in here. And they respected the way, like, you know, that two-way street had been there since the start. And it really just speaks to, I think, to the person that Dwayne is and just how close that he was with ownership that it concluded the way it did. There were a lot of little comments, and I think we were all being nitpicky, right? Like, we were, like, really in tune to exactly yeah. what he was saying and how he was saying it. Like, there was some they's instead of we's and stuff like that. And, and that stuff maybe happens all the time, but because it was getting to the end of the season, I think we were all a little more in tune to that. I say we all, like, I'm always there. I was just there for those two games. But um, I, I also want to say I love that about this organization, Amari. I love that we don't find out this stuff. I'm sure there's stuff that's happened in the locker room this season that we don't know about. Or maybe, you know, like I, say, I always say, you guys may know, but you don't report on. I love that the organization keeps stuff close to the vest. I know some of the fan base may not like it. I love it. And to your point, I love that Coach Casey was able to make the announcement his way, you know, like it didn't get leaked. Um, you and I talked about the Shams and Woj didn't have it until after he had announced it. I just... Maybe they already knew, but they at least were told to wait until Casey made the announcement. So I, I love that. I also, I don't know this as well. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I did get a little insight. I didn't realize how young his kids were. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is a family dynamic probably with this decision for Coach Casey as well. His his kids are what, like eighth grade and fifth grade or something like that growing up in, in Detroit. So, I mean, I think it, they have to be taken into account here that maybe he doesn't want to move them across the country to be a coach somewhere else. His daughter may be in her first year of high school now. But okay. yeah, like but you know, but he's got young kids, like he's you know, he's married to live in the suburbs and you know, the way he's been a head coach for a while. I mean, you know, he's been a head coach of the NBA for over fifteen years, and that's a long time uh, to do that particular job. You know, he's in his mid sixties, like he's got young kids, like he just haven't had he hasn't had time to just really be a family man. And I think it's meaningful for him, you know, to be able to do that, right? In an organization where, you know, you're loved, you're respected. Uh, you know, you've done everything that was needed just through this, you know, through your process as Troy took over. And, you know, he's just able to reach a good conclusion, I think, for everybody toward the end. And, I mean, absolutely, right? Like, it's not a typical, you know, situation where you have a coach who, you know, the kids are out of the house and this and that. Like, he's still very much, you know, a very active father. Uh, we've seen, you know, his son 
you know, around so many practices this season and just throughout the years. Um, you know, like Dwayne, like that, like that really is who he is. Like he's a family man. I know it means a lot for him to not be able to spend more time with him. I want to finish this off because we're going to go into the next segment, Omar, and we're going to talk about all these replacements and probably not going to talk about Dwayne Casey, the coach, a whole lot more. I know this may sound weird, but I want to give him some love for just like navigating this rebuild and this restoration. He started to take a lot of crap from the fan base here at the end. Maybe some of it was deserved. I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily believe that. How much is a team supposed to win whenever your franchise player in his second year isn't even playing for the entire season? Injuries have been an issue. It's not like he had a roster that was going to win a bunch of games either way. What I love about Dwayne Casey is just how respectful he is. And I've got to see this in person. Like, this is what I like about the opportunities I get. I got to sit in a room with him and see how he treats people and see how he knows every one of your guys' names whenever you ask him questions and remembers things about you. You know, Rod Beard had showed up to the media room and you could just, you know, Coach Casey lit up because he hadn't seen Rod Beard, you know, because obviously Mike is doing that now. It just, you can tell he has genuine relationships. He genuinely cares about people. And I assume he treats, uh, you know, his players and the organization the same way. And I just wanted to give him some love for that because that stuff is important. And I don't think it's valued enough. I realize the wins and losses. I realize the X's and O's. I get it. But I thought he was the right man for the job through this course of the restoration. And to be honest, I think maybe the change is happening at the right time. And lastly, I love that he's still going to be a part of the organization in the front office, being around these guys, helping with things, all of that stuff. So I just, I knew I wasn't going to get another chance to say that. And so I wanted to get that out. I don't know if you have anything you want to add or not, but I wanted to say that. No, I mean, look, Dwayne is a, a people person. Like he came in, uh, like he was already head coach, obviously when I started at the free press uh, three years ago and uh, you know, I remember like one of the first, like on one of my first days on the beat, like he reached out to me, said, Hey, it's Dwayne, this and that. And I'm like, Oh, okay. It's not the coach introduced himself to you, right? Like I'm the one new guy coming on the beat, but, uh, you know, he made a point to start that relationship early and just has always been amazing to deal with, amazing to talk to. Uh, he really does value having those personal relationships with people. And like, he's just a, a, a people person, like a genuine dude. Like I think the way he appears is exactly who he is. Um, you know, you don't get to the point he's gotten to in this industry where people don't like you, right? Like, you know, I think that's tough to do. Um, you know, it speaks, you know, again, uh, you know, a lot of most franchises do not show the respect to coaches and rebuilds that they've shown to him. Like, it's almost unprecedented to even go to the point to where you're like, okay, like, you can even announce your own news. We're going to keep the media and even most of the team completely out of the loop. Like, I do not know if his, <laughs> if, you know, even people on his own staff were aware that. Uh, he knew for a fact that it's going to be his last game going into it. So, again, just I think just a really fitting and you know just awesome conclusion to his time as head coach. Uh, he kind of alluded to it during his last you know press conference that you know my legacy will still be shaped, right? You know I've coached these guys, I've coached Ivy, Duran, Kate, you know Isaiah Stewart, all these guys, and they're going to continue to learn and grow, and he'll still be behind the scenes uh, aiding with that process. So, uh, you know, just 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 awesome to see everything that's going down. Uh, Dwayne's an awesome person, and just a really fitting conclusion to his time as head coach. Well, I think it speaks to him that they're going to allow him to stay in the organization because that's going to be a little bit awkward for the next head coach, right? Like to have the previous head coach still as part of the organization. One other thing, I didn't realize how many people just called you O. 
like coach Casey always would just call you. Oh, um, yeah. we were talking to somebody else. Uh, I think it was Natalie Kerwin called you. Oh, yeah. I was like, dang, man, am I the only person that doesn't call him? Oh, so, uh, you know, what's funny about that. That didn't start. That didn't start until I started covering the NBA, but I was just like growing up, like, like maybe people call me. Oh, here and there, but it wasn't like really a thing. Uh, I think when I was covering the Grizzlies, probably the first person who really just started calling me, Oh, like shorthand, uh, you know, and he was still the, he was still in the front office at the time with John Hollinger. He was been with the athletic for the past, you know, a few years now. And he was probably one of the first people I remember just stuck, who called me, Oh, like shorthand. And maybe somebody else behind the scenes called me, Oh, and he picked up on that. Like I really don't know. Um, that's kind of like persistent on. And then I've definitely done my own part, you know, since then, like, you know, like I've, I think it was probably like 2019 or whatever. Like, I was just like, you know what? Like, it's off season. I'm off season now. And like, that's kind of been a running joke for the past few years. After we talked to Troy Weaver on Tuesday, I'll probably switch back to it because we'll be back in the peak off season mode. And uh, yeah, everybody calls me, oh, like, that's just around the NBA. Like, people just call me, oh, so, you know, so I just. I, I, you know, I just roll with it. As Wes put in the chat, offseason O on Twitter, I, I'm, I'm going to keep calling you Omari because I don't want to just piggyback and be a follower of everybody else. I feel like, that, so I'm just going to, I'm going to keep it different. I'm going to keep it Omari as we move forward. But we're going to take a short break here. When we come back, I know the fan base wants to hear about all these potential candidates to replace Dwayne Casey. I know you've already written about this. So when we come back from this, we're going to dive into all of those possible replacements. All right, we are back with segment three, and we're going to dive into, you know, honestly, a pretty long list of candidates that the Pistons could consider here. Uh, you know, just from, you know, kind of talking to people about it, I know they're pretty early in the process, and I don't know if they necessarily have, like, a really firm, uh, small list of, you know, candidates to kind of work through. But, you know, just sort of broadly, it's a mix of, you know, current and former college coaches, you know, some assistants around the NBA. So, you know, we kind of see which way that they're leaning. Uh, let's lead off with probably one of the most notable candidates. Just from I say the biggest know, name, right? It's got to be close. Like the biggest name, uh, you know, who was Ime Udoka. You know, of course, he was with the Boston Celtics last season. It was first year he went to the finals, and then he gets suspended because of an improper relationship with an employee. Um, you know, eventually the franchise moves on from him. Uh, you know, by promoting somebody else, and he's a free agent right now. Uh, but he's somebody that the Pistons initially interviewed back in 2018 uh, when that vacancy first became open after Sam Van Gundy. And he was still an assistant with the San Antonio Spurs at the time. He's off the, uh, the, he's off the Greg Popovic coaching tree. And, you know, again, like I think from an organizational, just pure basketball standpoint, he probably checks every box you would want. Like he's uh, already been on NBA benches for a while. He's a former player himself. Uh, you know, anytime you get somebody off of the pop tree, that's probably a good situation. And the Celtics had success in his lone year, you know, so just that combination of youth and experience is appealing. It is just his exit, right? And that's going to hang over his head, you know, until he gets his next job. And whether or not that'll be in Detroit, who knows? You know, I don't know if they necessarily want to, you know, hire somebody with that background. Like they would do their diligence and sort through it and this and that. But, you know, I do believe he's in the mix and, that relationship has gone back the last five years, you know, before they hired Dwayne Casey. So he's somebody that uh, I think ownership 
had viewed as an ideal candidate for a while. There's also some murky details around everything with that situation. So I, I always have a hard time speaking on it whenever we don't know the full details. But obviously, like you said, the ownership would do its due diligence on what exactly happened and went on and all of those. I also want to say this, Omari, before we get into all, I did a whole bunch of research last night. I tweeted this out. I'm looking these guys up, their coaching careers, what they're known for. Going back to articles three, four years ago, are they defensive guys, offensive guys, player development guys? All that. Here's one thing we have no idea of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but even you guys as beat writers, you you weren't in the locker rooms when Coach Casey was giving speeches. You guys weren't there at practice whenever he's interacting with guys. You got to see it at the end of practice, but there's so much of coaching, Omari, that we truly don't know and will never know. We have no clue whatsoever. Essentially, nobody knows some of those conversations. We have no idea if in game 82, Coach Casey still had those guys ear when he sat down before the game to give the pregame speech. We don't know. We have no idea if Ime Udoka had that in Boston or if that team was just really talented. And this isn't like me trying to bash Ime Udoka, but he won in one year as a head coach, right? Well, Joe Mazzula is a rookie head coach doing the same thing this year with the Boston Celtics winning a bunch of games. So maybe this Boston team is just really well-constructed and really good. Now, with that said, obviously the guy can coach a little bit. And I know this is an organization and a team that the fans want to see defense. That is something that Ime is known for, obviously coming from the pop tree. And that team did improve in his one year on the bench with the Celtics. So I kind of I kind of merged those two things together. But I did want to say, all we can really talk about is the resumes up to this point and like second, third-hand knowledge of, of who these guys are as coaches. And, you know, again, just from a pure basketball standpoint, I think Ime... Uh, you know, not just for the Pistons, but for any franchise, checks a lot of those those boxes. It's just the off-the-court stuff. And, you know, one thing Troy always talks about is, you know, just bringing the right people into the organization. If, if there's any doubt about he made a person, he's not going to be the head coach. But, you know, I do think he's somebody that they would consider. And, you know, just I think from the standpoint of finding the right successor, I think that's also a pretty uh, rational starting point, you know, just for the, the reasons I mentioned earlier. And I don't think we have to get into it because we didn't really prepare for it today. And there's a lot of things like I also wonder where Detroit is going to land on the pecking order of open positions. Right. Like, you know, obviously the Houston job is open. I think Detroit is more attractive than Houston. But that's another thing. Troy Weaver may want he may, like maybe that's who they want. But at the end of the day, he still has to want to come to Detroit and coach this team. Now, I think it's very attractive with Cade, Ivy, a top five pick, salary cap, all that. That's a story for another day. The next guy. And this is a guy that I wasn't super familiar with. Um, I don't keep track of coaching stuff in general, super close, Amari, but is Charles Lee, 38 years old. He's a rising star in terms of assistant coaches, has been for a while. You you can find articles from three years ago where they're talking about him as the next up-and-coming guy. And here's the thing, and I think this is the time to talk about it, He's from the DMV. So that's something that we know. Troy Weaver has these connections and it makes sense. So I think Charles Lee with his resume, but also his connection, because Troy Weaver's a DMV guy, definitely makes sense as a, a possible candidate. Uh, he's been an assistant under uh, Mike Budenholzer, I believe, for the last nine years. Uh, it was like four years in Atlanta and in the last five years with the Milwaukee Bucks. So, you know, again, like, I think Bud was off the pop tree, and now you get somebody off the Bud tree. You know, and Coach Bud, obviously, one, is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Uh, it's a pretty good tree to, to pick from. He's he's young. I mean, he's got the DMV connection. And, you know, we know Trey loves his DMV guys. And, 
there's a lot with his resume to like. And I'll also say, you know, just to go briefly back to your point about the attractiveness of the coaching job. I think it's attractive for two reasons. One, uh, you mentioned, like, they are not at the beginning of a rebuild. So you're not going sure. to be yeah, yeah. like a lot of coaches. You're sort of the sacrificial lamb coming in. Uh, you're going to get, you're going to be the, the, the second stage coach. Like, you're here to win. You're not here to, you know, raise and develop guys. And I think, two, ownership can point to Dwayne Casey and say, Dwayne was here for five years because we liked him as a person. We understand that it went deeper to wins and losses and that he could come in and coach and develop these guys up. And they are probably the few NBA franchises who could say, we treated our coach well. <laughs> we treated our coach well. We uh, did everything right along the way. Uh, we could do this for you, right? And Houston can't say that. So I think that's that a great helps. point. I think that helps Detroit a lot. But as far as the assistants around the league, who, you know, you're always going to have a, a, a crew of assistants who are ready for like that next gig, right? Uh, I think I think Charles Lee's probably toward the top of that list. He's a guy that there's a lot to like about his resume and he really fits what the Pistons are trying to build. So I found this from an SI article said, Charles Lee is a young, obviously, energetic and possesses a deep understanding of X's and O's. I just wanted to drop that in there because I know that's something that a lot of the fans have talked about offensively, the X's and O's being more creative, especially like, you know, you get somebody like Wimby, 7'5", something the league hasn't seen before, you want to be creative with it. You have Scoo, Ivy, and Kate all on the floor together, you're going to have to be creative offensively to make that work. So, I mean, it was interesting to hear that uh, in a crew of coaches who a lot of the other ones are a little bit more known for their defense. And it also sounds like Charles Charles Lee is a guy who just can talk with anybody. I, I texted you this last night. I found somewhere where it said he's comfortable whether he's talking to the third string point guard in the gym or going out to a five-star restaurant with the ownership group, you know? So it's, it's one of those guys that, you know, like you're saying, personable and just, you know, gets to know everybody and all of those things. Another name, Omari, Adrian Griffin, 48 years old, has Oklahoma City ties. He's a current Raptors assistant. He is the father of A.J. Griffin that plays for the Hawks. He had a son who played for Syracuse. We know that Troy Weaver has the Syracuse connection. And I found a Bleacher uh, Report article that said his strength was player development and defense is his calling card. He's never been a head coach at any level, kind of like Charles Lee, but yet another assistant who's kind of a hot name around the league. Another coach that we've seen this name appear at Rumors, over the years, uh, you know, just very, very strong background in player development. Uh, he's been on Nick Nurse's bench the last five years. So there's, uh, you know, that, like not the Dwayne connection necessarily, but a Raptors connection. Yep. And, you know, I mean, like somebody else, like a, a, a guy, you know, I think you could, you know, go with him, you go with Charles Lee, and you could feel pretty good about having a young up and coming coach uh, who, you know, like, like again, he's paid his dues, he's cut his teeth. Um, he's positioned pretty much in the same area as like an email was before he got that Celtics job, right? And the teams have had a lot of success hiring coaches from strong coaching trees in the past few years. Like I was with the, you know, also covering the Grizzlies where they hired Taylor Jenkins, who was a butt assistant. And uh, obviously he's had a fantastic run uh, just with the Grizzlies over these last three years, uh, three or four years. So um, just a proven track record for success going that route for the Pistons. Yeah, let's do this one. Jerry Stackhouse, because I think this is a name that a lot of fans are going to be talking about. 48 years old, obviously a former Piston, was a Pistons analyst for Fox Sports Detroit. And here's what here's the tie that I think is really interesting, Amari. It's not to Troy Weaver. Jerry Stackhouse's connection is to Dwayne Casey. He was an assistant under Casey in Toronto. 
won a D League, which is the old G League uh, title and coach of the year. And then obviously has had success with the Vanderbilt program in the college level. So um, Jerry Stackhouse is a name that I find very interesting, especially since Coach Casey is staying on within the organization. So I have a fun Jerry Stackhouse nugget. Uh, he was an assistant coach of J.B. Baker's staff, staff uh, when I was co- my first season covering the Grizzlies back in 2018-19. And he actually left the Grizzlies to coach Vandy uh, you know, toward the end of, of that season. Uh, so I've already had some interactions with Stack. I've covered them in the past. You know, of course, he has the Dwayne Casey connection. Uh, but one of the, the first real kind of fun stories I wrote when I started covering the NBA five years ago was uh, that he was still like kicking dudes butts and like pickup. Like he was playing the players and like pickup, like, you know, before and after practices. And, you know, I'm talking to guys like, What's like the record, this and that. Nobody wanted to talk about it because he was beating up. You know, so he still, you know, so I was, you know, like that was four or five years ago, but you know, he still looks like he's in great shape. Honestly, he hasn't really aged in 20 years. Like, you know, it looks like he's still doing balls and like hoops a lot. You know, the Pistons connection. I think that's a really fun, uh, you know, potential fit for this franchise. Uh, like he's paid his dues in the coaching ranks. He's coached on NBA benches. He has the G League head coach experience. And now he's got Van- Vandy on the right path. So, he really does check a lot of boxes that you would want to see from the next head coach for this franchise. What do you think about Sean Sweeney? Yeah, so Sean Sweeney uh, was still an assistant with the Pistons when I first came in uh, during that that first year, and he worked really closely with Isaiah Stewart, and that's uh, you know something like I think somebody asked you know Isaiah Stewart about it you know a couple of years ago. And uh, he kind of spoke pretty highly of, you know, Sean Sweeney and just how much he helped him get acclimated to the NBA. Uh, you know, former Casey assistant, obviously. So, um, you know, I've only really met him once. It was it was during the pandemic season. So I was, you know, we were all separated from the, the team. Haven't really had a lot of interactions with him. Only met him once in uh, Dallas, I think, last season. Uh, but, you know, again, like everything I've heard about him, he's a, a, a bright guy. He already has a connection to, you know, a couple of guys on this team who were here during that 2020-21 season. And if we're talking about assistance, I think he would probably be in that crowd. You know, you just talked about he had this time in Detroit and then he left to go join Jason Kidd again. Now, obviously for a head coaching position, that's a little bit different, but it just, he seems to have this really strong ties with Jason Kidd. The situation in Dallas seems kind of tenuous right now, so. That's you know, true. You, you, know, you never know, you never know, so we'll see. All right, how about um, a couple guys, I don't know how realistic these guys are, Jay Wright, Kevin Ollie. I feel like Jay Wright's just a name that gets thrown out because he's been a really good coach and he's still around. Like maybe there's some realistic stuff to that. Kevin Ollie, obviously a guy that won a national championship with UConn. He did end his career with the Thunder when uh, Troy Weaver was there. He right now heads up the, oh, it doesn't head up, but he's the coach for the overtime elite program. Yeah. Uh, Jay Wright, uh, you know, I know that there are, you know, some Jay Wright fans in Detroit's front office. And again, like he's 61 years old, like he was, you know, he had a, obviously an extremely successful uh, career at Villanova, uh, you know, won two national titles. Uh, it's going to be interesting to come out of retirement uh, for the NBA grind. Uh, you know, that's a that's a big question mark. You know, I have no idea. Uh, I think he is more of a long shot, but I do think he's somebody that the Pistons will, you know, make contact with. You know, if those discussions pick up, that remains to be seen. But I know that he has fans in that front office. Uh, Kevin Ali, like, you know, again, like, he, this is the guy that's been around for a while. Of course, he had the whole UConn situation where uh, he ended up getting in trouble. And then I actually think he won a lawsuit against them and uh, nice with OTE. Uh, so he's had a really atypical coaching staff. But, you know, again, if you're just talking about former players who have come in, 
and, you know, really just established themselves, you know, in the coaching ranks after the fact. Uh, he definitely, you know, fits that category. Uh, he was an assistant and then, you know, NCAA head coach from UConn, I think a total of eight years. Biff overtime elite the past two years. Uh, overtime elites do. That's not really an overtime elite to the NBA coaching tree. So he would be the first, uh, you know, again, like just from, you know, bouncing names out of people, I wouldn't be surprised if the Pistons make contact with him and bring him into the loop. Two other names that have been thrown around quite a bit. So I just get your perspective on how real these names are. One, Kenny Atkinson, the assistant coach with the Warriors. Again, I couldn't find any overlap with Weaver, but he's been a head coach. His thing is kind of developing young players and connection with them. And then the pick and roll centric offense. And then also Brian Keefe, who is the current Nets assistant and has had stints with the Thunder. And, you know, he was part of the development of a players in Oklahoma City like Russell Westbrook. He has a defensive pedigree. Feels like both of those guys, Kenny Atkinson and Brian Keefe, would have, you know, pretty strong chance at least getting their name in the hat for this. I mean, Atkinson, he was, uh, you know, I think he had a pretty good reputation after he parted ways with the Brooklyn Nets a few years ago. Uh, he kind of coached them through that rebuild. So I'm saying the appeal of him is that you know what you are getting. And, you know, I don't think the Pistons are opposed to, like you call them a, a retread or, you know, whatever you want to say. But I don't think the Pistons are, are opposed to that. I think that there are some appeal just to bring in a guy who's kind of been around the block, knows what to expect. Uh, there's definitely some appeal there. And then you have Brian Keefe, you know, again, like current Nets assistant. Um, you know, he has the, you know, the tie with the, the Thunder, as Trey Weaver does as well. Uh, like, these are all, you know, people I wouldn't be shocked if the Pistons make contact with, right? Like, they're still willing their list down, but they all check boxes that the Pistons are looking for. And th there's a whole bunch of other names, guys. You know, Mark Jackson, Juwan Howard, Don Staley, Becky Hammond, Chauncey, if something happened in Portland. Like, there's there's all sorts of names. We can't get to all of them. At some point, we may talk about them more. I'm sure over the next week, by next week's recording, I'm sure we'll hear more names, get more substantiated reporting. The last two I want to just throw out real quick, Amari, before we go – is current assistants, Jerome Allen and Rex Kalamian, how much you feel like those guys have, you know, a ch I mean, obviously they have a chance, right? I mean, they're assistants here. Um, I don't know that they would be my first choices necessarily, but uh, again, we don't know what goes in the locker room. We don't know how vocal they were, how much the players have connected with them. So this may be more than what I'm thinking or more than what some fans realize. Yeah, I mean, so Rex, obviously, he was the interim coach when Dwayne had COVID, and you know, he has personal stuff going on. I think, uh, you know, the team never really, but Dwayne stepped away uh, for a bit last season, and Rex stepped into the chair again. And he's sort of been the, you know, the fact of de facto interim coach in those moments. Uh, Obviously, great, great friendship with Dwayne. I think that exists ownership. And, I, you know, I do think if the, if the assistants want their name in, in the hat, uh, the Pistons will give them a, a chance. I mean, you know, again, like there's no bad blood between this coaching staff and the front office. Uh, you know, they're going to do this the right way. Uh, you know, and Rex particularly uh, seems like he was sort of the lead assistant in that bunch. And, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him, you know, get into this process as they begin to whittle down names over the next few days and weeks. All right, that puts a wrap on episode 61. We have put a wrap on season 2022-2023 for the Detroit Pistons. And I do want to mention, we got a windmill call from George Blaha here at the end of the year <laughs> on that Jaden Ivey dunk that was talked about earlier. Uh, I didn't hear it live, but I heard that he did call it a windmill. So um, I, I feel like Blaha has been trolling us all year. And so he finally came out with it. But we are excited. We'll be here every Tuesday, like always. 
bringing you off-season coverage now of the draft, the salary cap. We're gonna, we got some guests, some exciting guests lined up, Amari, to do all of this with us. So stay with us here at the Pistons Pulse. We appreciate you guys so much. Amari, take it away, my guy. Absolutely. A uh, big shout out to our audio producer, Robin Chan, our executive producer, Anjanet Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirk and Crawford. And of course, big shout out to Wes, as always. We'll talk to you all next week. 